Well, good morning, happy Easter, and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we wrap up our long series seeking to give biblical attention to the subject of mental health. It's fitting that we conclude this series on Easter with the central hope of our faith, namely our promised resurrection at the return of Jesus, his glory, and the culmination of our salvation found in recreation to live and love and serve God in eternity. I'd like to thank you for traveling with us on this journey as we sail into port today to discover that resurrection is the great hope that we can bring into any and every situation. One of the greatest blessings that comes from children is seeing their excitement. It's like a treasure. I don't know if you lose it, but um, 6 a.m. this morning, my little girl was jumping on me saying, it's Easter, it's Easter, shaking me awake. And I said, 30 more minutes. (laughs) There's just something beautiful about children as they have this anticipation for what's coming, having built it upon what they have seen happen in the past. You, you know what it's like. It's like birthdays. They have it right before then. It's like Christmas. I remember in my household, there was a unique time when my sister and I had that same anticipation. And it was when my dad would return home from fighting forest fire. My dad worked in Florence. Um, he was the fire management officer for years and then worked in timber sales. Uh, but, you know, when you're young and adventurous, he would go out west uh, couple times even a year, right? And he would fight fire for up to three weeks or more at a time. And my poor mom had to deal with me and my sister by herself. But I remember, I remember the day that he would be coming back because everything in the house would change. Uh, on that day, somehow, I think we'd get a call or we would know he, he's, he's on his way home soon. And my sister and I would have our rooms cleaned. Um, <laughs> Mom would have the whole house clean, and I remember we'd sit on the couch. I can distinctively remember looking out the window, just waiting to see his truck pull in. And there was no fighting going on between us at this time. There were no cartoons on the TV. Our entire behavior had changed and had conformed because we had this anticipation for what was about to happen. And of course, he'd pull in the driveway, and we'd all squeal. My sister and I would dance around, and we'd run out and give him a great big hug, and we'd shout, What'd you bring me? (laughs) I think Easter is one of those moments for us. I think Easter is one of these times where we are given that hope of anticipation that can effectually transform our lives. It transforms our behavior towards one another. It transforms the values of what we love and spend our time looking at. Easter is the undeniable down payment that changes lives forever. In fact, it doesn't matter what trial you're going through. It doesn't matter what challenge you're facing. Easter stands for something that is a promise given to you. Hear me now. In the midst of difficulty. There is no problem that you face today that God will not solve by resurrection. Amen. 
Jesus' resurrection from the grave is not a myth or a story. It is a historical fact. Something that you and I can anchor our faith to in a world that's filled with the waves of uncertainty, of confusion, of anxiety and trial, and even, yes, despair. The Bible says that there is within the hearts uh, of all people, but especially Christians, there's a kind of groaning. Do you know what that groaning feels like? It doesn't mean you're hungry for lunch. And that's a different kind of groaning, right? The, the groaning I'm talking about is the kind uh, that I heard from a friend just this week as she returned home from seeing uh, some loved ones. It was like my, my heart was just torn because I can't always be with them. And, and I have to be here. And it's almost like I long for the day when we can just be together, always. Or maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Some, somebody who passes away, whether that's unexpectedly or the, an illness that's been drawn out for a long time. I know you know. You could tell in your gut. This is not right. This is not how the world is supposed to be. And so what do we do in these moments? How do you handle the groaning, and has God given us something, something supernatural that you can, like, like a boat on the waves, that you can anchor yourself to so that you're not caught adrift? What he has given us is hope. And that's our theme as we are going to wrap up our series on mental health called Navigating the Soul. You and I are going to look at the very best of as what I can identify in the Bible as if there was a silver bullet for mental health. Do you know what it is? It's hope. It's hope. Come on, you've been there before, right? Certainly someone in your life was down. They were a little blue and you told them, don't lose Right? You, you know that's the phrase. That's the thing that you know can draw them out of the gloom and draw them back into the sunshine. Well, God gives us a specific kind of hope, and it's the hope in resurrection. So that, that's what we're going to study this morning, uh, specifically recognizing that, that not all hope is created equal. Uh, there are, in fact, three different hopes that we're going to examine this morning. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a Bible study. Don't worry, I see the food back there. I ain't going to go too long on Easter, but I am going to ask that if you have your Bibles, we're going to flip through a few verses because here's what we need to substantiate. We need to be able to see as given to us from God's word the proper procedures when you face the grief and the groaning of this world. And I hope that it will be almost obvious the way in which the New Testament ties it directly to the hope of resurrection. Uh, just before we dive into God's word, one, one other uh, last thing that I want to mention is the way in which hope will transform us in suffering. God does not take you out of suffering sometimes. Amen? A anybody realize that? He doesn't always remove it, but he can transform us in the midst of suffering. And he's given us a way to do that through the resurrection of his son. Uh, we are going to, going to be in, uh, well, we're going to be in a few places. Uh, Romans 8 is going to be a central passage, but don't turn there yet. Uh, we're going to start in John 20. We're going to start in John 20, and we're going to, uh, we're going to examine a, a, a few observations of three different characteristics of hope. My challenge for you this morning, 
is that everyone in here has one of these hopes. That's my challenge to you. See if you can identify which kind you have. There, there are only three. Everyone in here has one. Um, two of them are not very good. <laughs> uh, and you'll, you'll be able to spot it. But this is, the, this is the self-evaluation that I want to call you to. See if you can identify which hope you cling to. All right, John chapter 20. Uh, this is actually going to, for us, uh, carry on the story that you had just heard from Phil out of the end of Mark 16. So, John 20, verse 1. Very early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And we're going to pause there. We're just going to actually stop right there. You know the story. You heard it already from Mark 16. Uh, They were going to the tomb because Jesus was what? Because Jesus died. Mary and all the other women with her were not expecting to see a living Jesus. In fact, we know this because what did they bring with them on their way, right? They leave early in the morning, but they brought all of the spices, all of the ointments and oils because they had to rush Jesus into the tomb because Sabbath was right there. So there wasn't time for a proper burial. And in the hearts of these ladies, they knew that's not right. How could have we put him, how could have we put him in the tomb like that? And so they wait like they are told to, to the end of Sabbath. And it's like, as soon as that sun's up, right? What are they doing? They're going to go and they're going to do what they can do. They're going to do whatever they can to try to help Jesus. But hope is gone. In fact, I have a word for it. It's hope misplaced. They they had a hope, but it certainly wasn't Jesus in the tomb. And that's exactly what we see. That's exactly what we find here. Um, This passage here from Mark 16 that we were just referring to, right? When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who's going to roll away the stone to the entrance of the tomb? That's That's a hurtful kind of hope on that day. And you know what? It's not just these ladies. We see it throughout the disciples. Do you remember Peter? Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, those were the words right on Peter's mouth when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And then just a few verses later, Jesus says, I must be handed over to the religious leaders and chief priests, and I must be crucified. The Son of Man must suffer and die. And do you know what good old Pete says? He says, no way, no way. This is not how, this is not how Messiah goes. Peter had a version of Messiah that he placed his hope in with enough guts to even pull Jesus aside and say, Jesus, you got to stop talking like this. You guys remember this story, right? What does Jesus say back to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. You see, a hope misplaced is a hope that rests upon you. It rests upon what you think is going to happen. It's a, well, this might happen. It might go like this. And that's what all the disciples did. All of them, in fact, you'll remember, at Jesus' arrest, where were the disciples? 
This was never part of the plan. Jesus is arrested? This don't look good. They can see what the soldiers are doing to him. They, they can see where this is headed. And what do all the disciples do? They run away. That's what misplaced hope will do to us. It's not what has happened or what could. It's, this is what I think will happen. It's a future the way I want it to go. Not the way that God wants it to go. I don't know how many of you really stuck with the Lenten devotional, but I, I want to thank all those who contributed. Uh, the last one came from my, my mom. And if you read it, you'll, you'll remember the story of my dad's illness and passing. Do you know when I was growing up, that was never part of the plan. That was not how things were supposed to go. And if I, if I set my hope in the way I want the future to look, do you know what I'm going to be left with? I'm going to be left with the tomb. I'm going to be left with hope that is misplaced because it is a reaching towards the future with my imagined future. It's what I would like to see happen. And that's exactly what you see in the case of the disciples. That's what you see in the case of even Paul, who put his hope in righteousness according to the law until he met Jesus. This is exactly what you see in the women who are approaching the tomb. This also, it rests on what you say. It rests upon you specifically. Misplaced hope is self-confidence. And then lastly, you know what it results in? It results in disappointment. It results in walking away. But we have to pick up the story because it doesn't end there. So again, in John 20, verse 1. Right in the middle, and they saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, Mark, in Mark 16, expands this moment, right? It's the women, and there they see the angel, and the angel says, I think angels might be a little sassy. What do you guys think? (laughs) Who are you looking for? (laughs) Like, really? Like, you're an angel. You... uh, Long John Silvers, that's what we're looking for. No, you, we're looking for Jesus. Like, you know that. But he asks them because he's got really, really good news. He's not here. He's not here. It's like the punchline, right? They were just saving it up. He's not here. He is risen. Were the ladies expecting this? No. No. Now, they look around. He's not there. The angel says, you need to go, go tell his disciples. And the text in Mark says that the ladies leave, but they're still bewildered. They're still a little bit confused. They now have a new kind of hope, however. It's no no longer hope misplaced because there's the tomb. But the tomb has the stone rolled away. It's open. So they now have an invitation for hope. He's alive. He's alive. And so what you now have is is the story picked up in John. So between verse 1 and verse 2 in John 20, you can insert Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8, right? That's, that's that portion of the dialogue that happens to the ladies. And then they leave with this kind of wonder, some fear, right? They haven't seen Jesus yet. They've seen the angel. They've been told this is what happened. But they go immediately to the disciples in verse 2. So look with me again, John chapter 20, verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. 
Now, at this point, I'm not exactly sure Mary believed the angel. Right? The angel said what? He is risen. But she didn't see Jesus. For her, it may as well just have been that they just took him somewhere. All she knows is that the tomb is now open. When you look at hope that's invited... This is a story that all of us participate in at some point in our life. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God works like somebody faithfully knocking on the door of our heart. Will you let me in? Will you let me in? Jesus is risen, and for all of us, there is a period of investigation. You know, I wonder about this church thing. I wonder about this Christian thing. I wonder if it could be true. I see a lot of hypocrites as Christians, right? All that long sermons and that stuff. Archie Church, right? I mean, at some point, there is a period of further investigation. And look with me back into the text for what happens. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is John's way of bragging without bragging. It's called a humble brag right here. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went right into the tomb. I got to see this. I got to see what's going on. Imagine with me that moment. What do you suppose that was like? Complete, abject despair. My my hope was misplaced. And now you're giving me hope? He's alive? Remember, the disciples, they they scatter. They're they're, they're nowhere around. And yet Mary finds Peter and John. What do you suppose Peter and John were doing that moment? I mean, can you imagine how their wheels were spinning? What do we do now? What do we do? Like, we've been doing this thing for three years. Uh, Should we continue with the teaching? We might get killed and arrested as well. And then they hear, bam, 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 on the door. Who could that be at this hour? And they open the door, and it's Mary, out of breath. They've taken the Lord. Imagine if you were there. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to look and investigate. You know, we have a story a little bit further in John 20. Uh, One of the particular disciples, he was solid on this kind of hope. He was fine with the invitation, but he was nervous to believe. You guys know his name? Which one was the doubter of the disciples? Yeah, Thomas. Here's his story. Now, Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He, he has the invitation. It's true. It's true. I had never seen anybody rise from the dead before. Right? That's Thomas. And this is, this is a good kind of hope. It's moving in the right direction. But it's not the best. Because this kind of hope still rests looking at the future upon the present circumstances. I, I only believe it if I see it. Right? I, it's got to happen right here and right now. And that's good that there's, there's curiosity. It's good that there's investigation. I know there's a lot of us who are very curious. I think Thomas might have been even very curious. But it doesn't provide lasting help. This hope is going to run out. 
Because this hope is now resting on not your own words and your own confidence. You're now resting a hope on the, the words of others. This is what other people have said. I haven't seen it with my own eyes. And so that's good. It doesn't come sourced in your own self-confidence, but it literally does still rest on the testimony of others. And this is a good kind of hope because it causes you to walk towards with further investigation. Now, you can see this uh, in this passage that we looked at because what is the immediate response of John and Peter when the invitation is given? They don't stay at home. They say, I got to see this. I got to investigate it for myself. There's one other kind of hope. Not hope misplaced, not hope invited, but hope that is actualized. And this is not just the tomb. This isn't the tomb open. This is the tomb empty. This is awesome. This is the kind of hope that we are offered in resurrection. And we're going to leave the text just for a moment in John. Because Jesus' resurrection, the Bible calls a first fruit. Now, if you're into agriculture, you might know what that term means, right? First fruits are the ones that come, right? You know, they, they were the, the first blossoms uh, that produced fruit. But what comes after? First is not last. First is just first. There is more to come. And so the Bible will speak of Jesus' resurrection as just the first resurrection. And that there are many left to come. And remember, there's no problem that you face that God will not solve through resurrection. In order for us to see this as how it becomes for you and for me, the great aid within the gloom And the groaning, especially how that affects our minds and our hearts and our souls, we need to look to some other passages in the New Testament. So if you're with me on that, I want to invite you to turn in the New Testament to the book of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I have it up here on the screen if you brought your binoculars. 1 Corinthians 15. I'll be reading out of my old version of NIV, starting in verse 12 through verse 23. And I want you to watch carefully for how Paul understands the historical fact of the resurrection. Are you guys with? Say amen if you're with me. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Paul says, But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not, in fact, raise him from the dead, then the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I'm going to just pause there. We're going to come back in a second. But do you see what he says? If your hope is only in Christ as Messiah, and that Jesus right now is rotting in the grave, Paul says, you're pathetic. <laughs> he, he said, your, your faith is useless. You're still locked into your sin. He, he's a liar because he's been saying that Jesus is raised from the dead. You can't place your faith simply as Jesus as Messiah. Paul says, you need to anchor it to what happens three days later. So let's continue here. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, all those who belong to him. All right, there's another passage I want us to look to. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, This time we're going to go in chapter 4. Again, the words are up here on the screen. In chapter 4, in fact, the whole, really, book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is outlining just a really bummer of a time that he's had. Like, very, very difficult trials. I mean, you you could relate, right? Do you ever have a problem in the workplace? (laughs) Your job ever make you go crazy, right? How about your kids or your spouse or your family or pain? Or illness, right? All of us there at some point can identify with, yeah, uh, I am losing my faith, I think, because life is really, really difficult. And so uh, there's an important passage that we need to see here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. Paul says, it is written... I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Christ and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. How great is that passage, by the way? I've used this at a lot of funerals before. Therefore, do not lose heart. Well, hold on. You can't just start there. Therefore, what what was he talking about? Like, what what is it that's really given me the opportunity not to see my heart in despair? In a word, resurrection. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Any amens there? Yep, I got up this morning, woken up from my slumber. Right? Oh, oh, my belly's a little bit. Oh, what? my back's a little bit. Oh, geez, right? Outwardly, the old gray mare. She ain't what she used to be. <laughs> Therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and more material troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, I'm in chapter five now, the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed. What's he talking about? Yeah. You've been to a funeral, right? You, you, you know the aches and pains. You know the groaning that we have, right? If it's destroyed, here's the promise, verse one, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we're clothed, we won't be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Resurrection. Resurrection is the hope that gets you through the pain. Two more, a little bit shorter. Turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. Just five verses right at the very beginning. When the New Testament writers speak about resurrection, they'll use a little phrase, the glory of God. You see, Jesus is raised glorious. His body is not like this body in the sense that it has any sort of corruption. And Jesus had no sin in him at all, but his new body, his resurrected body, is the one that for us is offered for the hope of glory. So that's the phrase the New Testament writers use, the glory of God. Romans chapter 5, look with me in verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Did you see that at the end of verse 2? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's a resurrected body promised to you by Jesus, offered here and foretold by the Spirit. He says in verse 3, because this is, this is critical now. Look, look if you have this hope. How do I handle the hardship of life? Look at verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Say what? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not tuned into that channel all the time. Right? Uh, rejoicing in my sufferings? Ask Emily. I'm a big baby when it comes to suffering. Right. How about you? Can you do better? Can I do better? Yeah, absolutely. Because my problem, your problem, our problem is it's so easy to misplace our hope or leave it only as invited. And we fail to realize I can rejoice over suffering because watch what it does. Look with me a little bit further. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. One last verse. Thank you guys for hanging on here. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, this is our last one. And we're done. Romans chapter 8. I'd like you to start in verse 22. And we're going to pull together a couple of observations that we can lead 
into application from this passage. Romans 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you guys see that phrase there? The redemption of our bodies? What's he talking about? Okay, a couple of you were a little nervous to say it. I know you know the right answer. Say it good and loud. What is it? Resurrection. Resurrection. The redemption of our bodies is that day on Jesus' return when the graves open up. The dead in Christ will rise with new bodies. And we, all of us who are still alive, will be changed. That's what we're waiting for. That's the anticipated hope that allows us to go through sufferings. Look a little bit further, verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I'd say eagerly, as he has said earlier in that passage. So, so what do we do with this? Well, hope actualized is reaching towards the future from what's happened in the past. Every one of the passages that we read spoke about a hope that we can have, but it's not a hope based on what might be. It's not a hope on, based upon what could be. It's a hope based upon what has been. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. You don't know how lucky you are. There have been people worshiping and following God for millennia that don't have what you have. We are so fortunate to have the fact of the resurrection. And I know that we make a big deal of it on Easter and every Sunday, but it's also very easy for us to minimize, marginalize, and forget what a treasure it is to place your hope in a historical fact that Jesus' tomb is not just open, but it's also empty. All right? It also rests upon what God has said, not on what I say, not what others say. Hope that's actualized rests upon God's word, which, let me tell you, take that to the bank. That's the kind you want. And then what do you do with it? What's the result of hope actualized? Well, you now walk with God. Hope marginalized, or uh, uh, hope misplaced. Uh, remember, they walked away. They all scattered and walked away. Hope that's invited, well, they, mm, they walked towards, they looked into it. But hope that's actualized, now I walk with the Lord every day. So what do we do with this? I want to offer you three applications for Easter. My challenge to you this morning was to identify which of these hopes you have. What, which did you bring into the building with you today? The, the first thing that I want to offer to you is that you need to anchor your hope in the historical resurrection of Jesus. Maybe for you, you do have a misplaced hope, like Peter did, like Paul did early on. You, you can testify. You could come up here and witness how the waves of life how they knock you from side to side because you don't have that anchor. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells the church in this way, God did this by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope 
set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Man, you need to anchor it. Uh, we, we've been in a series for a long time looking at navigating the soul. Right? Uh, the, the very best thing that I could offer to you as a, as a spiritual leader is a hope in the, in the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ that will allow you to go through the suffering of this life. But if you don't anchor it to Jesus, who's it resting on? Ba- basically yourself. Or maybe, maybe the words of others. You need to lock it down and stay secure. Second, I, I want to ask you, if that's not you, if, if, if you have done this, if you have placed your hope in the historical resurrection, then let me encourage you to develop your relationship further with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice the Holy Spirit showing up again and again and again in all these verses? Right? The, the, the Holy Spirit is that deposit in our lives that guarantees, it's a guarantee, that you will be raised from the dead. And I think sometimes we also marginalize how much time we spend devoted to listening to the Spirit of God. And if we did better, we'd find we walk in step with the Spirit of God all the more. You need to remember the Holy Spirit is not like a force. right? It's not like Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person. Have you ever felt like somebody walked in who you knew and they just sort of ignored you? You ever feel like that? You didn't even say, hi, man, I'm right here. Right? Do you think the Holy Spirit might ever feel that way about the way we treat him? He's a person. The Bible will use terms to describe the Spirit as a counselor, teacher, as a guide. I like the idea of a coach, right? Because a coach is always working on you, kind of tough on you, right? But always for you, helping you to become better. When you're down, there to pick you up. I believe that if, if you have your hope actualized today in Jesus, historical fact, my encouragement to you is that you learn how to develop your relationship with the Spirit. One more, last one. Um, let your awareness of this world's groanings, because it'll show up, church. If you're not in it today, just wait. There'll be a moment in your life where you're going to wake up in the middle of the night, can't sleep. <laughs> you're you're going to have that moment where your stomach is churning because you're in fear. Well, Allow those moments to motivate you to where your citizenship is promised. Heavenward. Boy, the more I see the brokenness of this world, the more I look forward to the streets of gold. Amen? Anybody else with me? The the less I fall in love with investing my life in things that are temporary, things that are seen, the more I long to be part of that world that's unseen but has been promised to me. Not by mythology, but by the historical fact of Jesus having been raised for the dead. And that's then how I wait. Because you have to wait. Who likes to wait? <laughs> Nobody likes to wait. But that's where we're at right now, church. This is where we are. The Apostle Paul, as he is recounting, wanting to know Christ, uh, to, to know him in the, in the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, and there somehow, he says, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Like, this is Paul's greatest hope. He says these words to the church in Philippi. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. I'm not, I'm not resurrected yet. I, I'm not there yet. I'm still waiting. He says, or I've already obtained my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do 
forgetting what's behind and straining on or pressing on to that which is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the end of our series. I hope as we've gone through this, we've been under conviction to know the church has to do a better job of addressing mental health. God did not leave it out to a professional organization that doesn't carry with it the conviction of sin, the exaltation of Jesus. He's left it for the church and he's put us in a family to love and encourage and help one another be part of that. The greatest anchor for whatever plagues your heart and soul today. Church, hear me. It's Easter. Because the good news is, He is risen. Amen. Can we pray?